that we would live as your people being changed on mission where you have us in England or you have us in Midtown or wherever it may be. God, the thing we know most assuredly is that we need to hear from you. And so we pray now that you would bring your word to bear upon our hearts that we might be changed. Oh God, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been making our way. We finally reached chapter 6 of Ephesians, uh, working our way along a few verses at a time. And we've said in Ephesians that um, there's, there's so much theology, there's so much richness, particularly earlier in the book, but we saw some in chapter 5 too, or really throughout the book. But a lot of theology, um, but it gets deeply, deeply practical. Paul's saying uh, we're not just brains on a stick, we don't just know stuff about God. Uh, And we're not just practical people doing stuff, but actually our deep theology seeps its way and the gospel penetrates every part of our life and changes us. It's an inside-out move. And part of the fall, uh, the the fall of man, is that we become fragmented, right? We, we We were made whole and then sin disintegrates us. That's ultimately what death is. It is decay of the body. The soul and the body separate, ultimately the body is decayed until we have a new resurrected body, right? A new, a new body and the new heavens and the new earth. But sin is constantly fragmenting, and so we're not whole. We're half-hearted. We're incomplete. We're not only guilty, but we are decaying. And Paul says, all of this deep theology of of what the Father's done and what the Son's accomplished and what the Spirit has done is meant to impact every single fiber of our being to make us reunited, to make us integrated. So that's why outwardly we can be wasting away and yet inwardly we can be being renewed day by day because we're being put back together in Christ even as our bodies decay. We're going to talk about that in particular in these uh, relationship with children and parents, this household codes. Now, uh, many of you feel this acutely because we're in the throes of parenting, and this feels like, yes, I, it's there. It's in our face. We struggle. It's difficult. We hear it. Some of you are hearing this and think, man, I could have skipped this one. You know, I could have stayed in bed. What does this have to do with me? Maybe you're single, and you're thinking, I, I don't need to be here, or maybe you're, uh, you're a, a, a grown-up, and you're thinking, you know, um, you know, my, my parents have deceased. What does this apply to me? Or maybe you're older and you're thinking, my child-rearing days are beyond me. This doesn't apply to me. I, I want you to hear a couple of things. One, if you're in that boat and you think this doesn't apply to me, one, we are one body. And when we uh, baptize a, a, an infant, we, we, the parents say vows and commitments. But then we ask the church, do you commit to coming alongside and helping raise this child in the Lord? And that, that means whether you're single and, and 75 or whether you're 22 and in college, you say yes because we're committed to helping us as the body grow and to nurture children in the Lord. And the second thing I'd say, if you feel like this doesn't apply to you, I want you to ask this question. What do the commandments we're about to read in, this, in the Word, what do these tell us about the kind of God we serve? As we read these, these words, what does it tell us about the heart of God? You see, the, the commands flow from the nature 
and the character of the one they're giving them, right? If, you, if you're harsh with your kids, even the kid, it comes from a heart that is harsh. And so if you think it doesn't apply, it applies to you in a sense of it helps us understand the very nature of God. So listen for that. What do these words tell us about God's heart for us, the God that we serve? What must he be like? Okay, first, uh, we're going to talk to children. Uh, I, I thought about getting all the kids to come forward and sit together, but then I thought that would be a disaster, and they would be uh, uh, tempted to uh, play with one another, and your parents might could keep you in line. So if you're here, this first part really is towards kids. This is, listen, listen, children, this is the word. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you, that you may live long in the land. Okay, children, a couple things I want you to see. Adults, you can listen on. Um, first, Paul addresses the children directly. Did you see that? Directly. This implies a lot. He, he's not speaking to parents and says, hey, parents, pass this along to your kids. It's not what he does. Paul speaks to the kids. He talks to them. He is the Apostle Paul. He is the, the Apostle to the Gentiles. He wrote most of the New Testament, or a lot of the New Testament. And he speaks to children. He assumes they have a place there. He assumes that they would be a part of the gathered community of people. Whether they're, uh, they're in children's church or not, they're a part. They're valuable in this community. Paul speaks to them. The language of children combined with the command to fathers to bring them up infers that these children are those that are in the household. They're, they're, they're small children, they're up teenagers, maybe into their 20s, I don't know however long you're in your household, that they're under the authority of their parents. So this, this word is for those children. We spoke... Um, a few weeks ago about the uniqueness of the household codes. Um, we said that it, the husbands were told, um, husbands were told to love their wives. Do you remember that? And we said that that was unique in all of the Jewish literature or the Greco-Roman literature, that no one tells husbands to love their wives. They tell them to manage them or to oversee them. But no one says love. Likewise, there's no, uh, there's no story, there's no text that we know of uh, where there are household codes where children are speak, spoken to directly. So as we're hearing commands, we're also hearing the posture that God takes with children. He addresses them directly. They are valuable. Most of us, or some of us, may have grown up in a world where, you know, uh, Kids are seen but not heard, right? You heard that? You know? Um, but no, Paul demonstrates that they're valuable, that they're important, uh, that they matter. They have dignity. They have value. So much so that um, this text uh, reveals uh, the attitude that Paul has, the counter-attitude that the culture had. Do you remember... Uh, the, 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 the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all have the same encounter where Jesus and the little children, do you remember that? Do you remember the story, what happens? Uh, I'll, I'll read it from Mark. There were crowds of people following Jesus, and these people, they're bringing their children to Jesus that he might touch them and pray for them, and what did the disciples do? Do you remember? 
What did they do? They rebuked the people. They rebuked the people. And Jesus saw this, says he was indignant. He said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall never enter it. And Jesus took them in his arms and he blessed them, laying his hands on them. Now, was Jesus a compassionate guy? Yeah. Right? The disciples see that. The disciples had seen by this point, Jesus fed the 5,000. He had healed the sick. He had cast out demons. Right? He's a pretty empathetic guy. He's pretty compassionate. And yet, these people were bringing their children, uh, Luke says, even their infants to him. And the disciples said, get out of here. He rebuked them. Why was that? What does that tell us about the attitudes of kids? They were a hindrance, right? They were in the way. They were a distraction. We're trying to get on with the mission. Get these kids out of here. We got stuff to do. We got to change the world. These kids are in the way. And Jesus, it says, was indignant. That's a combination of two things. It's, it's grief and anger. He was, he was so angered that he was grieved or so grieved that he was angry. He was indignant. And he said, no, grown men, religious people, let the children come to me. And then he says, not let them come to me, but you adults need to learn from these kids what the kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of God is like quite a contrast to the idea that children are annoying, or that they're in the way, or that they're a hindrance, or they're a nuisance to the mission. Jesus says, let them come. I'm going to read this to you. This is from G.K. Chesterton. It's one of my favorite quotes of all time. Just listen to this. Will you hear this quote? He talks about how we as adults learn from children. So children, this is how you can teach us about God, okay? He says, because children have abounding vitality, because they are, in, they are in spirit fierce and free, therefore they want things repeated and unchanged. They will always say, do it again, right? You know that little kid, they says, do it again, do it again. Or your grandfather, Papa, do it again, do it again, do it again, right? Over and over. Chesterton says, and the grown-up person does it again and again until he is nearly dead. For grown-up people are not strong enough to exult in monotony. But perhaps God is strong enough to exult in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun. And every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that he makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but he has never gotten tired of making them. And this is, this is the best line. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy. For we have sinned and grown old and grown old, but our father is younger than we are. What a quote, huh? Our father is younger than we are. So maybe when the kids want you to do it over and over and over and you're exhausted, maybe the problem's not with them. They can't get on. Maybe the problem's with us that we become jaded and cynical and sinned. And we need to rediscover something of the appetite of infancy that our God has. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> There's a lot to learn, isn't it? The humble, the presence. We need to understand. First thing, kids, the Bible speaks directly to you. 
Paul addresses children directly. Second thing, Paul commands children to obey their parents. While um, speaking to, ch- to children directly was very uncommon, the command is not. Almost every culture has said something like this, right? There's an authority structure in the home. Kids are to obey your parents. You're to f- parents are to give instruction and directions, and it's expected that children are to obey. We looked at the word a few weeks ago, um, the word submit, it, it related to husbands and wife, uh, and people have asked, what's the relationship? This word is altogether different. That word is related to submit in terms of respect. A wife is to respect or honor her husband. But this work is very, word is very different. This word is submit in terms of obedience. There is a clear command structure, authority, and children are to obey. Notice in verse 2, he shifts from obey to honor. Honor your father and your mother. This is from where? The Ten Commandments. This is the language. And so you see, uh, most commentators think the language of, of obey has to do with when you're in the home, when they're under your, your rearing, your childhood days, kids are to obey. And as kids get older, the command doesn't go away, but now it looks more like honoring or respecting. Right? When you're 35, you don't obey your parents in the same way, but you do what? Honor them, right? You know, if you're 75 and your, your, your parents are still alive at 95, you're still called to honor them, right? To, to respect them. Now, it may look very different. It doesn't look like taking their instructions in the same way as a child, but it looks like, may look like conversations or care or uh, providing practical needs. I always joke with my older two kids, Aiden and Abigail, that um, I changed their diapers so that one day they would change my diapers. Um, and so it, it may look very different in our old age and the differences. Thank you, a few of you, for laughing. None of the older folks are laughing at that. <laughs> that was too much. Um, as, soon as, I, as soon as I say that um, I honor father and mother, I realize that not all parents are created the same, right, or were the same. I realize some of you had great families, fathers and mothers, and then some of you had a horrific experience and abusive and tyrannical, and this verse, like the one with wives submitting, have been used against you, you know? There's been an ultimate demand, a submission, a, a crushing of the spirit. It's been weaponized towards you, and this is say that is not the intent of this passage at all. The intent is... Uh, that the world is broken in darkness, and God is trying to give the church instruction how to set up that we might be blessed and we might operate in a way that honors Him. And so there's no room for any kind of abuse or any kind of uh, harm towards children. Children are to be treated with dignity and honor and to be taught to obey the authority that they've been giving. Collectively, we need to, to grieve that this is not the case. As we shared a few weeks ago, that if you look at the household, if you look at the American family, it's not doing so well, right? It's not doing so well. And there's a lot of breakdowns with moms and dads, husbands and wives, but there's a breakdown here as well. Children, you are called to obey your parents. Third thing with children. Paul gives children the motivation to obey. So if obedience is required of children in most contexts and cultures, the, 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 the motivation is unique to the Christian family. We are to obey 
for certain reasons. And it's twofold. It says children are to obey in the Lord. In the Lord. So he goes on to say, for it is right. It's right by whom? It's right by God. God gave it. God directed it this way. And so, when a child obeys his parent, he's ultimately not just obeying his parent, but he's ultimately obeying the Lord, right? Isn't it interesting, and this is where I hope we see what Paul's done for the last few chapters. Do you see how we, we tend to live on the horizontal, right? Husband's wife, relating to people, how we bite to the body of Christ, the community of faith, children, parents. But he constantly takes the vertical, I mean the, the horizontal, and he says it's vertical, right? It's ultimately about the Lord. It's about us being right with God. And oh, by the way, that plays out in how we treat people and we interact in certain situations, employers, employees. It plays out horizontally. But all of life, all of our theology is first vertical with God so children can obey. They can stop hitting their sibling because their parents told them to. But also because it's what the Lord says. It honors him to the Lord. That's important. So as you say, you know, uh, parents, we say, kids, when your parents say to do something, can all kids look at me? Can you look at me? When your parents say to do something, and you say, because, they say, because I said so, that's fine. They can say that, but that's not ultimately true. Also, it's because God said so and gave them authority, and therefore you obey the Lord as you're obeying them. I wouldn't say that to them. That might not go well. Now, as a little kid, do you say, because I said so, maybe so. But as they grow and develop and age and mature, we tell them, this is what it means to honor the Lord. God has given throughout life, with government, within the church, within the home, structure and order for good. So obey your parents in the Lord. The second motivation, children are to obey their parents. And this is what I want to get at the heart of the Father, is For their own blessing. Obey the Lord for your own good. For your own good. Honor your father and mother, verse 2. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. You know, the word obedience gets a bad rap. Um, In fact, some some modern uh, parenting books won't use that word. It's seen as harsh or, uh, you know, too demanding. Or, gosh, can you imagine telling your kids to obey? What? What strong language, you know, you get this kind of stuff. Do do you see the command to obey is for good? God is not saying this because he's heavy-handed. He's saying this so he can bless the family, can bless you. What is this word about the first word uh, command with a promise? It's actually the only, only one of the Ten Commandments that gives a promise with it. You know, don't commit murder, don't steal, this one. Honor your father and mother that it might go well with you. That you might live long in the land. There's a promise associated with it. Now, there are other commands Moses gives that have promises too. But this is the first one it's saying. It's told you to do something, and it's explained this is why. That you might be blessed. That you might live long, have long life and be blessed. And it doesn't just mean in a spiritual sense. He says, in the land or on the earth, you'll be blessed in this life. Certainly, our blessings are far greater in the eternal life and what's to come. And this is a picture of that as we obey. But God wants to bless us. Israel was told to honor. Israel's told to honor their father.
right? No one knows. Ooh, it came out, Mac. Okay, let's, can I go back here? <laughs> Musical uh, podium. You get so feisty, it just comes unplugged, you know? <laughs> Crazy pastors. Um, it's blessing. It's blessing. It's, 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 it's not absolute. It's like the Proverbs. There's two ways to live. It doesn't mean everyone that obeys their parents well are going to live to 100 years old. It's not what it means. It means if you live this way, it goes well for you. Honor your parents, it's a blessing. If you live this way, it doesn't go well for you. And Paul lays out that command. We're to honor them. Children are to obey for their own blessing, for their own good. I think parents, that's important to say that. We, we, we do command obedience, but we do it because this is good for you. This is what we want. This is what God has for your life, for your provision. Okay, children, you're off the hook for a minute. Um, we're going to finish here. There's just one verse to fathers, um, and we'll read this. Verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. One of the overarching things we've seen of Ephesians is that God is making this one new family, multicultural, multi-ethnic, one family, right? The, the Jew-Gentile, the wall is broken down. There's one people together. And the idea is that as he is the father over the family, the people of God, so too should fathers oversee the household of faith. Should we be involved? Should we care? But the text doesn't say mothers. It certainly implies that, that uh, mothers are involved. For children are to obey not just their father, but they're to obey their parents, right? Obey their parents, just like sometimes it'll, the scripture will say brothers, and it implies brothers and sisters. But I do think it's important that it is addressed here to fathers, because fathers take the initiative. They take the lead here. As he said in chapter 5, he spoke about being head of household. The emphasis is on fathers, that we would take the lead in instructing and discipling our children. What does that mean for us, fathers? It means there, there's no room for passivity. We don't get to opt out and say, yeah, but she's better at it. She'll take care of it. And we're to be actively involved. If we look in the culture, the breakdown of the family, uh, there's a lot of problems. The absentee uh, dad is a problem, but so is the passive dad that's there but is not involved. Or provides but physically but not emotionally the family, like the church, needs to see men actively leading, initiating the word of God, care, oversight with their spouse to the family. That's how God has ordained it, for blessing and for good. How is it to be done? Notice, notice the heart of the father again. Notice God's heart. Children are to recognize the authority by obeying, but the command to fathers is to be restrained in exercising that authority. Do you see that? Do you see that? Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. 
Don't, that provoke means stirring them up. Don't do excessively. Don't take it too far. This word provoke is used in the Old Testament a lot with Israel provoking the Lord. Remember, they were, the Lord, Moses was meeting with God, and the people of God starting having idols and doing all kinds of sinful practices. And it said they were provoking the Lord to anger. They were stirring him up. They were giving God lots of reasons to be angry. And culturally, you would think that's what children have been told not to do. That's what they were told. Don't make dad mad, right? Dad's coming home. Don't make dad mad. Don't, don't, get, don't get him upset. But instead, Paul switches it and says, fathers, don't be excessive. Don't be heavy-handed. Don't provoke your children to anger. William Barclay speaks about The first century idea of fatherhood, he says this, A Roman father had absolute power over his family. He could sell them as slaves. He could make them work in his fields, even in chains. He could take the law into his own hands. And he could punish as he liked. He could even inflict the death penalty on his child if he chose. He was the master of his home. He could do what he pleased. That is not the Christian perspective of fatherhood. Not to provoke means that there is a a care and a sensitivity with our children as we interact. As we're teaching them to obey, we do it in a way that weighs our thoughts and our actions in a way. How is this going to impact them? How do we do this in a way that models the heart of God towards our children? Another author says this, and it's (laughs) convicting to me. This passage effectually rules out reactionary flare-ups, overly harsh words, insults, sarcasm, nagging, demeaning comments, inappropriate teasing, unreasonable demands, and anything else that can be perceived as provocative. Colossians, a similar passage, it says, Do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. So we got to lead, we got to talk about obedience, but in a way that is gracious and loving and thoughtful. We need restraint. What else does he say? Instead of provoking to anger, fathers are to bring up their children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Some translations say instruction and admonition, and that's probably, that's probably right, because the word you see discipline on the screen, it really means instruction. It means to teach or to educate, or to tutor our children. And this is where I I think is probably radical for our day, even in the church, that fathers are ultimately to take responsibility over the instruction, the spiritual instruction of our homes. And many of us didn't have that modeled or aren't aware of that, and we, we pass it off, but that is what the text teaches us. This means spiritual training, and not outside of our wife, but with our spouse in a way together. So in this way, uh, you know, some of you may homeschool. A lot of you think homeschool would be crazy, but we're all called to homeschool. Do you know that? The primary spiritual nourishment of children is not for the church. It's a part of it. It's the people of God. It's not for the school, whether it's 
public or private or Christian or whatever, the primary instruction for children in the Lord is in the home. It is in the home. We are to invest, we're to train in spiritual matters. Passivity is not an option. And I'm one speaking to myself here. This is not easy to say or to do. But let's just be frank. Like, our, I mean, let's just have, like, I wish we could just sit down and have a round table. Like, and particularly those parents that are, that are older and have done this. Our kids are being bombarded with everything, right? I mean, the culture is not, um, is not shy about discipling them. They're training them in the world from social media to, to, to YouTube, TikTok, to movies. They're teaching them. And not just about the bad stuff that we don't want them to do. That's certainly there. But they're training them about what to love, about what's valuable, about what the good life is, about what brings meaning and purpose in life. And we see growing up, we're wondering why we struggle with purposelessness and anxiety and depression, all the things that our teenagers have. And we've, we've not taught them what it is to love what is good, to love the Lord. And I'm going to step on some toes and, and hopefully my own toes here. Um, travel ball is optional. Like Disney every year is optional. All the gadgets and the latest and the things, those are all optional. If you're able to, that would be okay. That's fine. Maybe there's a place for that. But that's optional. You're not going to stand before the Lord and be like, your kid didn't get to go to Disney but once in 18 years. Like, you didn't do a good job parenting. It's not going to be the question. It's going to be, did you take them, instruct them in the Lord? That's what we're responsible for. That's what we're to steward. If it involves travel ball, okay. If it involves new gadgets, okay. If it involves whatever, okay. Those are fine. But what we're commanded to do, and I'm stepping on my own toes here, is we're commanded to instruct them in the Lord, to be active. Part of the reason that our kids are buying into the world system is because we've bought into it. We've bought into it. We've bought into the American dream, the entertain ourselves. We've bought it. And a lot of the things in that dream are great. But what's mandatory is that we invest and instruct our kids. The second word here, instruction, is to admonish. And, and this is the corrective side, right? We're to instruct in a certain way, uh, fathers and mothers. And then we, as they get out of line, as they struggle, we're to warn, we're to exhort, we're even to rebuke back. So this is how it goes. And as they're learning and going away, we pull them back. We admonish them. We teach them. We do it with self-control. If one error is to, um, you know, be harsh and demanding, and if another error is to be passive, a third error is to just see our kids as our buddies and our friends, right? Right? I mean, there, there's literature like this. We're so afraid of, of hurting feelings. We're so afraid of them not liking us. We're so afraid of, of, of making them upset. And do we want our, our kids to be friends with us? Yes, we do, and as they grow, particularly more and more, we want them to have a friendship with us. But they have friends. They need you as the father and mother to parent, to admonish, to redirect them. That is our God-given role 
in their life. We are not just their pals. We are their parents. We need to instruct. We need to correct. And often we overcorrect from what we saw. If our parents were super uh, rigid and harsh, we become very loose, right? And we just we let kids do what they want. And they need boundaries. They need direction, right? All you elementary ed, you know that, right? Right, Celeste? I see it, right? You, you need to have stations. They need to know what's coming up next. <laughs> and some of us, th- our families were so loose and you could do whatever. You come and we're demeaning and we're harsh because we're going to bring control. This is where we need one another. Truth is, kids need instruction. They need direction. They need to do it in a certain way. This is where we need the body of Christ as well. For those of you that don't fall in these categories of at least being a parent, we need your involvement. You help us see our blind spots. You help us see where we miss the mark. You help us see the direction. This is what God is like. Demonstrate it. Those youth workers, keep pouring in. Point them. Youth workers, pour in. Show them what's like. Show them that life is meant in Christ. Direct them in that way. We need you to do that. Engage, support, pray for parents. We finish with this. This whole command of children and parents comes under the overheading of walking in the Spirit from chapter 5. It's the same, grammatically, it's the same flow. And if, uh, you know, parenting isn't something you can just white knuckle and just do it. We're just going to parent and get it right, get a list, get a plan. That's not how it's meant to be done. If you've tried it, you failed at it. Parenting is much more about repentance than about perfection. It's about repentance. None of us, uh, maybe some of you in here feel, feel convicted today. You're like, man, I, I, I blew it with my kids. Or maybe you as, as adults thinking, I was, a, I was a terrible kid to my parents. They had to put up with so much. You can just feel overwhelmed with, with guilt and shame of what we haven't done and how we failed and how we've missed the mark. Or you're currently parenting and you're thinking all week, I was like, man, I'm not doing so great in a lot of these categories, folks. <laughs> and you realize that your confidence and your hope for moving forward is not in how great of parents we are. Is that our confidence is that our Father is the real Father. That the Lord God is the true and righteous Father. He is the good God that provides structure and discipline and love for us. He's restraint. And that the Son is, He's the obedient Son. That Jesus has come for us. That He has died in our place, obedient for us. That we stand before, the, we stand before God in the last day and we don't share but look what a great parent I was. Or we don't justify, well, I was a bad parent because this happened and this happened and this happened. We stand before judgment and we plead the blood of Christ, the ultimate son, the father who's loved us. It's because of you. You covered my failures. You covered my disobedience. You covered my struggle. That we are in Christ, that we are righteous in him. And therefore, we hear hard words from Paul and we're not crushed. We're tempted to. We're not crushed because grace flows downhill to the humble, to the broken. You might be 80 years old and think, man, the ship has sailed for me. No, it hasn't. 
Because the grace of God allows you to move in and to help and to grow and to celebrate and to walk with others that are seeking to live this household of faith together. We stand today not on the merit of our parenting or in our obedience, but we stand on the merit of Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. It is living and active. It is far greater than anything we can conjure up. It is truth. It is goodness. It is beauty. It is life. God, may we know your word. May we hear it. May it change us. We pray this.